Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of the 21 News Podcast. I'm Managing Editor Justin Mitchell. As Ohio begins the long, slow process of reopening businesses while still dealing with the threat of the coronavirus, one key factor that continues to be crucial is testing. Across the country, states are working to ramp up testing capability in order to isolate and contain future outbreaks of the virus. Locally, one company that has been become one of the faces of coronavirus testing has been QuickMed Urgent Care. With me today is Dr. Lena Esmail. Doctor, thanks for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here with you. We have seen in recent weeks just a surge of new testing sites since the first one in Camel a couple weeks back. How many people in the Valley have you been able to test so far, and what are you finding? Well, we've been able to test, actually, um, between all of our testing sites as well as the tests we're conducting here in-house in the two urgent care locations in Trumbull County. We're upwards towards 3,000. And what, we, what we're noticing, actually, is we, consistent with that of what Governor DeWine and um, Dr. Acton is kind of echoing about, when we had a peak about a week and a half ago and the trending down is that we had a pretty consistent rate of positives between 18 to 25 percent, depending on any given day. And as we moved into this weekend, into this week, we're seeing those trends go down and we're seeing less positives come back. We're also testing a little less amount of people based on symptoms that are presenting. They're just not as sick as they were two or three weeks ago as a whole in the community. So um, I guess I'm happy to say that we are seeing less positive results and we are just overall not seeing as sick or as symptomatic of patients. Now, as that happens, how much more do you anticipate being able to ramp up testing since the state's going to start opening businesses and that's going to be more and more crucial? Well, we are able to continuously test um, several hundred a day, and though we might not necessarily have a specific drive-through location at any given time during the week, we're always testing at either of our QuickMed locations in Liberty and in Warren. And with that being said, we don't—we haven't noticed our supply or our um, ability to test to have gone down, which is um, beneficial to the community because we are able to continue on and meet the demands for testing. Uh, you had mentioned something interesting. You said, you know, when the when the uh, the state reopens, we might see more. Um, positives. Uh, and, and I think that's actually accurate um, based on what you said about state reopening and testing more. I think we'll see more positives. I think that overall, um, once people are out back into, uh, you know, uh, the same area as each other, not necessarily following the social distancing that was uh, in place, but essentially because people are now allowed to leave their houses, I think we're going to find a little bit of a surge. I don't think it's going to peak like it did several weeks ago, but I do feel that we will find a surge and we will have people that are more symptomatic presenting as opposed to this week. Now, now talk about why testing is crucial when that happens to, uh, to allow to continue to sort of open up and, and get to something more like normal. Well, essentially, as we open back up, it's important to identify continuously where the positive te- where the positive people are coming from. Are there outbreaks? Is there a a need for a potential reclosing down of of the of of the the government of you know of Ohio? And essentially, it's important to test because if you can identify 
quarantine and recognize hotspots, you're able to separate those people from the rest of the community and therefore keeping the community safe and keeping us open, allowing us to conduct our day-to-days because we were able to identify who is sick and who needs to be separated from the rest of the community. Essentially, that's the ideology of mass testing, where you test as many as possible so you can isolate those sick people so it doesn't have a mass effect to have to quarantine and lock people down. So we get calls in our newsroom almost every day for people wanting your guys' number and to, to get pre-screened. Who can get a test right now and get through the screening process? Are there a lot of people that are turned away? There are. I will tell you that depending on where we hold the clinic, um, we, we've noticed specific trends in, uh, you know, for Warren, for example, we had tons of people in Warren that wanted to get tested that were asymptomatic or they had no symptoms. Uh, when we first opened up the testing in uh, in Camel, it was the same way, where um, anyone can get tested as long as they have some sort of symptom, that, symptoms that correlate with that of coronavirus. And we've, we've modified what our standards of testing would be as new uh, symptoms are being unfolded as we see these patients. So we have the typical symptoms, which were, you know, cough, fever, shortness of breath, things of that nature, loss of taste and smell. And as we progressed into testing and identifying positive cases, what we found is that people who who don't have those typical symptoms, they have other symptoms, which may include diarrhea, also may include uh, severe headaches, body aches, fatigue. Um, sometimes people get rashes, things like that. So it's, it's very crucial that we pre-screen people because we don't want to outright say your symptoms don't match coronavirus, therefore you don't get a test, nor do we want to say everybody gets a test, just come and show up, because though tests to us aren't necessarily scarce, we don't know what the outlook holds for next week or next month. So we want to make sure that everybody who needs a test will get one. So that there's, um, there's an importance for us for pre-screening. Everybody can get pre-screened. Everybody can speak to a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a physician's assistant via telehealth or face-to-face in the parking lot of one of our urgent cares. So we can evaluate uh, your risk factors and your need for testing. And a lot of that not only has to do with symptoms, but also exposure. What, uh, who you've been exposed to, have they tested positive, how close were you, how closely were you exposed to them? So um, I guess in a nutshell, to answer your question, everybody can get screened, but not everybody can get tested. However, our, our exclusion criteria has certainly um, um, shrunk now that we've uh, been able to identify new symptoms. So certainly erring on the side of more tests, not fewer. That's absolutely right. We're erring on the side of more tests uh, and and more people who are able to have access to this testing because we've discovered that there are new symptoms and that sometimes it's just important to test people who have come into contact with those that were positive because they need to get back to work. A lot of first responders, a lot of healthcare workers, they've had exposure without masks, without realizing it. Well, you know, they're either out of work for 14 to 21 days or they get tested and it comes back negative. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like it's almost so narrow that it's like, you know, if somebody calls and says, no, no, I feel fine, I feel great, I haven't been around anybody, I'm just curious, they're probably not going to get through, but short of that. And (laughs) And that's absolutely right. And believe it or not, we get a lot of those. We still get a lot of those, a lot of people who just want peace of mind. I just want to know I haven't had it yet. You know, we get a lot of those. Well, right now, because we're testing for active live virus, we won't know if you've had it. It would only identify positive if you actively have the virus. Now, don't get me wrong about, you know, anywhere between 60 to 75% of people 
Um, historically, from the beginning of coronavirus, when it was in China and with South Korea mass tested and with Canada mass testing, they're finding about 75% of people have absolutely no symptoms and they tested positive for live virus. But unfortunately, we don't have the ability to mass test on that platform. Well, with that being said, um, antibody testing is right around the horizon, and we'll be getting into antibody testing in the next week to two weeks, which means that people will have the opportunity, regardless of whether they have symptoms or not, to come in and see if they've had coronavirus, which is a really important factor when we talk about testing, because we can, you know, we can test people uh, for a live virus all day, and if you don't have it, then you don't have it. But in order to really evaluate the nature of the spread and also the, uh, the atmosphere that we're in in terms of who's been exposed, we really need antibody testing, which is the second phase of the, uh, the testing that we need to conduct. Now, what would the criteria be for that once you guys have antibody testing? Is that going to be real narrow, or is that wider? It's, I, would, I would say it's a wider criteria. So essentially, if you have symptoms or if you have positive exposure, you can get tested. Um, and we put it through your insurance, but because insurances have their own guidelines, antibody testing for those that have been asymptomatic or had no symptoms, it would be a cash pay model, and they can just simply pay a cash cost to get tested and um, to evaluate whether or not they've had it that way. Any idea what that cost would be yet, or is that still being worked I, I can't, out? I can't speak about that quite yet, only because I don't know what the test will cost us, and that's really going to be the biggest factor. Marginal, you know, we'll charge marginally what we would pay, but right now it's probably anywhere between 40 to $60. Okay. Now, would that just be coming into the office, or is that going to be also these mass testing sites like have been set up so far for the, for the live virus? Well, it's interesting you should mention that because there's essentially two different ways that you can test for antibody testing. There's serology tests, which means they're blood tests. One way is what we call a point-of-care method, meaning that we do a finger stick like a blood glucose or like a blood sugar, and then we absorb the little blood um, droplet and we put it onto a piece of plastic and it runs a strip and it gives us you know, results within minutes. The other, which is a more sensitive meaning more accurate test is an actual blood draw that we run in the lab and we're able to identify the antibodies that way. Now, with that being said, the, you know, the, the lab draw version has a couple percent higher accuracy than that of these point-of-care strips. So I think when, once we have, when we sit down and decide what route we want to take, that's going to depend on how we test. I don't know about the practicality of doing either a blood stick or a blood draw through a drive-through setting, but it would really depend on um, our ability to staff and our ability to keep um, contamination down and also to keep everybody safe. Sure, sure. Um, and so back to the live testing and sort of ramping that up more, recently there were some national stories about a Nobel Prize winning economist, Paul Romer, who had said that the only way we're ever going to get back to normal in the United States is if we can get everyone tested. That's right. So what does it take to get to the point where anyone, regardless of symptoms, just out of curiosity, can get tested kind of on a whim because they want to? Well, uh, I think that we're getting close to that point. Uh, we, we try our best to follow uh, CDC guidelines in terms of who should be tested and who shouldn't be tested. I will say that CDC guidelines are designed to, uh, are designed to model what the status of testing is currently, which means the CDC model will open as testing becomes more available. Right now, the CDC recommends that people who don't have any symptoms don't get tested. They recommend that regardless of your exposure, if you don't have symptoms, you shouldn't be tested, right? Well, this is based on the CDC's um, interpretation of the availability of tests. 
So as tests become more available, the CDC will then be inclined to recommend that more people get tested, including those who are asymptomatic. So when we talk about testing here at QuickMed, we have to evaluate what the CDC is telling us, and then we have to use common rationalization to see if the CDC is recommending this because that's the best cause or the best case and how to um, test appropriately, or is the CDC recommending this because that's the the best alternative due to the scarcity of tests. And it seems to be the case where as the testing becomes more available nationally, I think we'll see a, a change in recommendation for the CDC in terms of who gets tested. But what we're trying to do is, at QuickMed here is to try to adapt and recognize where the problems are, what the national specialists are saying, and um, essentially try to get as many people tested as, as we're able without crossing the limits of over-testing and having mass panic. Right, right. So based on what you've seen so far, where do you see us headed? I mean, especially if, if there is a second wave of the coronavirus in the fall, sure. do you think by that point we'll be in a better position because there will be enough testing capability to stay I in do. front of it? I do. I, I will say this, that by the fall, I think the scarcity of testing problem would have had a solution. I think that right now what I'm noticing is that Folks who didn't have testing and facilities and, and organizations who didn't prior have testing now do. And that gives me hope that the scarcity problem is, is going to be short-lived. I'm pretty confident that by the fall there will be no issue with the, the ability to test because right now the scarcity, the facets of scarcity have to do with supplies, meaning even something as simple as nasal swabs or solution to put the nasal swabs in aren't available, or the, um, the approval of the test to be conducted. And I think that that bottleneck will explode in the summertime and everybody who historically are able to do basic lab tests, a high complexity labs, hospitals, things like that, reference labs, will have the ability and they will also have the supplies needed uh, to test. Now the question will become, when it becomes flu season again, will the co-infection risk factor, meaning will people who have the flu co-infect with coronavirus and will that make them sicker patients? And I do believe that the answer to that is yes. Uh, out of the urgent care, we don't see a lot of co-infection when we're looking for other viruses and bacteria in really symptomatic patients. So, you know, they will have coronavirus and they won't have anything else. But every now and then, we get a couple of people who have influenza with coronavirus. And those people are historically, in my experience, the sickest of the people we see. Some of them even go to the hospital. And, you know, this is just an observation. I haven't conducted any studies. I haven't had the opportunity to actually pull data and evaluate. But I speculate that come the fall with the flu, because it will be flu season, we're going to see sicker people because there might be co-infection with both influenza and coronavirus. So the so we'll kind of we'll get through one problem, but we're going to have another serious issue that we need to deal with when we're we exactly. Comes I I think I don't necessarily think we're going to have the um, the amount of positives. Meaning, I don't think everybody's going. Like, we're not going to see another surge of positives. I think we'll see sicker people though. I see. I see. Well, I mean, just looking ahead, is there anything else that you would like to add or want people to know that you think they don't understand right now? Uh, I think the biggest thing that people should understand is even though the average person doesn't get um, acutely so sick that they need to be hospitalized or put on the breathing machine, we don't know who those one of us, those ones of us will be. Meaning between me and you, if one of us gets coronavirus, though we're young and healthy, 
we don't know what our outcomes will be. We, there, there's, though, though we have some predicting factors, age being one of them, uh, chronic illness being another, that isn't true and be told. And we can't just make the assumption because we're young and healthy, coronavirus won't hit us as, as it did other people that have become very sick or even passed away or died from this. Another thing that I would advise is that, you know, flu season is around the corner. Get your vaccination uh, because that will help protect you against co-infection or getting the flu with coronavirus. And if we do have a coronavirus vaccine, which should be coming out in the fall, I would advise those who uh, qualify to get that, that vaccination to get it because that's going to be the, the next wave of protection for our, you know, our communities is getting vaccinated. Now, you mentioned the fall for a coronavirus vaccine. I know we see everything from it could be years to it could be 18 months. So what makes you think the fall? I think it will come out in the fall just because I've had a lot of um, feedback from a lot of the people that, that I deal with in, in the lab world and a lot of scientists and, and um, people who understand the lab model. And what they're telling me is that we might have some outlook into vaccination by the fall. But we will see. You know, it really depends on what sort of roadblocks with testing, because they all have to be tested in humans and in other animal trials, and also any roadblocks they might have through um, getting approval. And we, will, we have to make sure ultimately the testing or the vaccination will be safe for us to use before we can, uh, you know, we can start, you know, giving it to the masses. So I think it's all going to come down to how quickly can we disseminate proof of concept with a, a vaccine that works, and then is it though it works, is it safe enough to give to the public? Well, Doctor, I appreciate your time, and we will stay in touch in the future, especially as we move forward into the antibody testing phase here. Definitely, and I look forward to talking to you about that. As soon as we get our hands on these tests, we'll be um, you know, letting everybody know so they can come out and get tested, and I'll give people peace of mind.